Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your finger and point to Genesis chapter 9. We're going to do a little bit of change here. I, we're not going to get as far as I anticipated this week as I realize I need to kind of slow down, I think, and buckle down a little bit. So we're going to be in Genesis 9, but at the same time, would you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8 also. So hold on there in Genesis, but the first passage of Scripture we'll actually be looking at is in Romans chapter 8. And in Genesis, we find that God has been displaying His character through the world He has created and in His interaction with man. We are now in the years following the fall, as we discovered last week, that the Lord's patient had worn thin as the population grew and sin took deep root into the sons and daughters of Adam. God displayed not only His judgment in destroying all life on land and in the air, But he also displayed his mercy in saving Noah and his family along with two of every other animals, of every land and air creature, I should say. And we now are going to follow the narrative as Moses works through, as Moses writes the narrative as God works through Noah to accomplish his purpose of sending a savior to redeem the human race from the curse of sin and death. And we can not forget, that's the theme that weaves itself through the story of the Bible. And I use story as in capital S. And the fact that the Bible is only one story. I don't know about you, but I like rain. One of the things that Dawn and I miss the most uh, since moving out here is rainstorms, thunderstorms. A thing in which just a thunderstorm just comes and just kind of washes everything out and just... Uh, the sun comes up. It's just a beautiful experience out here. It's a little bit different, but I remember even sun showers. We even had things in which the sun would be shining, but there would just be like a little sprinkle, and it's just something about it. There's something about rain, is there not? It brings a freshness. It restores a newness, a cleanness after the storm. There's something about the smell after a good storm that kind of, you know what, I'm, some of you are shaking your heads, you know what I'm talking about. Very good. I thought it was in my own mind. Yes, we use the term the calm after the storm to kind of express how different it is from the storm itself. We can almost imagine the expectation, the anticipation, and even the trepidation or trepidation Noah and his family were experiencing as they stepped foot outside the ark after a whole year of seclusion. Remember, the world that they knew before was gone. All of their family their friends, their neighbors, and even their way of life was destroyed in the flood. Only they and their family have escaped God's righteous and wrathful judgment. Surely, grief and gratitude and love were feelings they were experienced in their safety and their salvation, but also there had to have been grief and sorrow and fear of what lies ahead of them. There's eight souls alone 
in this big, wide world at this time. They're left to repopulate a world that had probably undergone a tremendous change after the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were open, as Moses wrote. From Moses' narrative, it seems that they were even transported to a region far from their home as they were deposited into the mountains of Ariad in the Turkey or in the region of Turkey and Armenia. Several things that changed were uh, what they could eat and their relationship with animals and the relationship in community. The one thing that did not change, though, was God and His plan for the human race. His plan was to redeem man from the curse of sin and death and to reconcile all of creation to himself. And that's always a great place to say amen. Because Paul writes of this plan as you find yourself in Romans chapter 8, look at verse 19. For he writes, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves join in creation. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. What we realize is that that what was once lost will be restored. Amen? That's the story of the Bible. As we continue in our reading today, we're going to see that in keeping with the good purposes of God, that he reestablishes his mandate to Adam with Noah and his family. With that, turn back, if you would, to Genesis chapter 9. And I'm here eyeing my water, and I realize I need I forgot it, so that's a need. So excuse me. Look at Genesis chapter 9, and that's where we find ourselves. As we read that first verse, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, we've heard this word before, this phrase, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture, and I recognize after a week of studying it, of praying over it, and putting it together, that I'm insufficient to share your word without the Holy Spirit's help. And so I pray now that you would just be with me this morning. I pray that you would fill what's lacking. And Lord, that your spirit would have free reign and that you would grab a hold with both hands and shake the very spirit of each and every person in here this morning. Whether from death to life or to life to obedience, Lord, I pray that we would receive your word with thanksgiving. And Lord, that we would not only have just an informational uh, transfer, but there would be a transformation. And Lord, that each one would call you Lord. And Lord, that we would live out in obedience to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. How many of you like peanuts? Very, very good. Now, how many of you like the comic peanuts? Charles Schultz's peanuts. 
In a Peanuts cartoon strip, Lucy and Linus are staring out the window, watching it rain. The conversation goes like this. Lucy says, boy, look at it pour. What if it floods the whole world? Linus replies, it won't. In Genesis 9, God promised Noah that he would never, or that, that that would never happen again. The sign of that promise is the rainbow. Lucy, turning back to the window with a big smile, says, you've taken a great load off my mind, Linus. Linus responds as only Linus could. Sound theology has a way of doing that. I love that saying, sound theology. You see, sound theology is what you and I need today. And I want you to listen to me very carefully here. Sound theology is what you and I need today. Even in the midst of all the angry, frustration, resentment, and fear that infects the minds and the hearts of people today, sound theology is the medicine that soothes the soul and restores the mind. You and I live in a world in which Trayvon Martin, the IRS, and NSA scandals, the immigration and illegal immigration, riots, protests, financial insecurities, and everything seems to be just falling apart. What's the answer? Sound theology. You say, how does sound theology deal with a Trayvon Martin situation? Well, it's only sound theology that helps us think through things the way God has, de- has determined us to think. There's all sorts of just craziness that just goes out with all these types of things. But God gives us sound theology so that we may think well as Christians who understand that God has revealed Himself to us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 reminds us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You and I need to acquire good biblical critical thinking in which sound theology is the foundation of what we think and how we move and how we live. And that's where we are this morning. Because as we look at this chapter here in Noah, and knowing all of a sudden everything is different for them, how in the world are they going to repopulate the earth? How are they going to do what they want to do? How are they going to live? Well, sound theology. It's what's going to help them through this process. And so I want to share with you from this portion of Scripture two things this morning about sound theology. The first thing that sound theology enables us to do is to appreciate the value of life. Sound theology helps us to appreciate the value of life. You may recall that God is the one who destroyed all the world. Does He he not value life? Yes, He values life. He was the one whose eyes went to and fro the earth and saw the corruption and saw all the violence in the world and says it cannot be so. And so he starts with a fresh start. And knowing how things ended up, he says things need to start differently this time. 
And if you're with me in Genesis chapter 9, you'll see how sound theology enables us to appreciate the value of life as we turn to verse 2. So you see, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heaven, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all of the fish of the sea, God says. He tells them that into your hands they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. So for the second time, he reiterates the mandate that he gave to Adam. Now there is a positive blessing for the mandate with some negative connotation. For the first time, the animals now will have a fear and a dread of man. The harmony that probably existed between human and animals is destroyed in the judgment. From this passage, we conclude that up until this point, the majority of the human race was vegetarians, for those who are vegetarians. So you could say, hey, hey, hey. Now, we could try to make the editorial remark that in chapter 5, we see all these men who lived 600, 700, 800, 900 years were all vegetarians, while next week, while we go through the annals of man, we'll see that they begin to live less and less as they become more canaverous. Is that the word, canaverous? Or carnivious? They become meat-eaters. So I don't want to make that correlation, but it might be there, I don't know. But what we see is that the relationship and the harmony between man and the animals changed. Now, it doesn't mean that they were not eating animals before, but what we see that God says now, I've given you all things, and all things are permissible to eat. However, the blood of an animal was not to be eaten or drunk. Blood symbolically represented death and points to a sacrifice in Scripture. God uses this imagery to also point to the final sacrifice of Christ. The shedding of blood, we find in Hebrews, is necessary. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So he says, you're not to eat the blood. Now what's interesting here in this time, what we call the uh, antediluvian time, before the patriarchs, they understood where life came from. Unfortunately for George Washington, they didn't realize that that blood was the life source of life, as they put leeches on him, drawing out the very life source that he needed to keep himself alive. Shedding the blood is necessary. For God has designed that blood would be the covering for sin, whether it was Adam and Eve when he took the animals and covered them with animal skins, to the Mosaic Law, which would then codify all the different types of sacrifices. You see, the shedding of blood also points to the value in life in that no one was to intentionally take the life of another man. Instead of a code of vengeance, 
that we saw in Lamech in chapter 4 when Dustin shared it with us of Genesis, we see that a system of accountability is instituted. No longer is vengeance the way or the code of life. Remember, the the world was filled with violence. It was corrupted with violence before. It will be later codified in the Mosaic Law for both animals and humans. And Paul also, as he exhorts Christians in the letter of Romans, to never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What he's sharing with us is to kill intentionally without just cause, is to rebel against the very mandate and command of God to be fruitful and to multiply. Lord says, never let it be so. And we shared quite a bit of this back in January when I shared a message on the value of life. But how do you and I, how do we carry out God's command to require a reckoning for the life of man? For we see a commandment, he says. For he says, whoever sheds the blood of man shall his blood be shed. He says, for your life, but I will require a reckoning. Well, how do we do that? Where's that accountability? If it's not vengeance, how do we do so? Well, God gives us an answer, not only in the law, but also for us today. As He commands us in Romans 13, that every person should be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, he says in Romans 13. In verse 3 of that chapter, he says, For rulers are not a terror to good, con- to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So how would he require a reckoning? We see that God is instituting a new accountability between man. No longer would one man be the judge and jury. In some way, he is instituting a government a collection of men who would rule themselves and as the agents of God, then do the reckoning that God requires. We are to appreciate the value of life, both human and animals. The human life itself is made in the image of God. and God sets out a value that is very, very important to understand. We are to value human life And anything that cheapens life is to be considered evil. Whether it is slavery, whether it is sex trafficking, whether it's pornography or prostitution or abortion or neglect of punishment for murder or unjust wars or even turning a blind eye or deaf ear to the sufferings of others. Life is precious. Thank you. Do we value human life? God calls us, 
Sound theology says human life is precious. The second thing that sound theology allows us or enables us to do is to celebrate God's covenant. And that's where we're going to park for the rest of the message. As we continue in chapter 9 of Genesis, look at verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I established my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be caught off by the waters of the flood. (coughs) And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 12. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds of the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Now I want to set some time here because he's introducing a covenant. We didn't, so, we didn't really see a covenant before, at least the word covenant, though it found itself between Adam and God. But covenant now is so important because as we go throughout the story, we see that God works through covenants. So I want us to understand that when it says celebrate God's covenant, it's important for us to understand what it is. A covenant is something that formally binds two parties together in a relationship on the basis of mutual personal commitment with the consequences for keeping or breaking the commitment. It's different than a contract. A contract is something in which we could get ourselves out. A contract is something that has loopholes to escape from. A covenant is different, or covenant, yes, is different. I would liken marriage to a covenant. Unfortunately, we live in a world in which now marriages is a contract, in which has a contract, which loopholes, and ways in which we could extract ourselves from it. A covenant, though, is different. And a covenant has three elements. If someone likes to take notes, just in case there's no, by the way, there is no test afterwards, but a pop quiz may come in the near future. So you may want to understand what these three elements are. The first element is the parties, those who are involved in it. And in this covenant of Noah, this Noahic covenant, you see God, man, and animals. God makes a covenant and says, between the man and animals, I am making this covenant. The second second, uh, element is terms. In other words, what's it based on? Is it based on a financial? Is it based on, on, on relationship? And on this case, the terms are based on God's faithfulness alone. Do you see that? The terms of this contract, Noah and the animals have nothing that they need to do. It's not as if, well, if, as in a marriage, we say, well, if I give 100%, you'll give 100%. Okay? 
And we're, as long as we're together, this is what I expect of you, and this is what you can expect of me. <coughs> In this case, there is no expectations for knowing the animals. The terms are based on God and His Word alone. The third one is the promises. What are the promises? What are the promises that has to be done? In other words, if you do this, what do I get? The promises, very simple, is never again destroy the earth with water. And here's where I want to share with you what we've been looking at, God's display of His character. For with this covenant, as we celebrate the covenant, this covenant displays God's faithfulness. This covenant displays His faithfulness. This covenant is not based on man and his actions. It's not based on his, on his obedience or his trust of God. It's not based on the animals, animals being able to eat their food and to pray and to worship the, the, the Savior, but only on God. He seals it with the sign of a rainbow. In other words, in this covenant, this is what God says, I will do. And I will never again destroy this earth with flood. And every biblical covenant has an accompanying sign. With Noah, we see the rainbow. With the Abraham covenant that we'll be looking at in several weeks, it's circumcision. With the covenant with Moses that we'll see in Exodus, it's the Sabbath. With the covenant with David, King David, many of you know, the sign was a virgin birth. And with the new covenant, it's the blood of of Jesus Christ. As we understand, when we take of the Lord's Supper, this cup that I give you is my blood. So with this covenant, God displays His faithfulness. Never again will I destroy the earth. That's my promise, God says to you. It's a wonderful thing about it. There's nothing on my part to I have to do to accomplish this. But also with this covenant, we see that God displays his sovereignty. Also with this covenant, we see that God displays His sovereignty over all things. In other words, He alone determines the fate of all living things. You and I need to understand that. It is God and God alone who is the giver and taker of life. Though He promises not to destroy the earth with water, one day he will destroy with fire. As the Apostle Peter writes, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So we see God's sovereignty in the fact that he says, I'm not promised that I'll never destroy the world. I'm just making a promise that I will determine the methods and ways in which I do it. And let me tell you, this covenant stands today. That covenant stands today. And you and I ought to be able to celebrate and rejoice even when we see disasters and floods came. Now, Don and I, we lived in the Midwest where floods were pretty prevalent. And I know they could be out here also in Southern California, but we face them all the time out there. And every time you would see the banks of the Rock River start to flood over or the Mississippi uh, flood over, everyone wants to know, where is God in this tragedy? And we start to bemoan as we see the flood when it takes a whole village or it takes a whole uh, group of people. 
And many times, hundreds if not thousands are, are killed. And our hearts sometimes, how do we say, where is God in this? And that's what I'm telling you, that's where you need sound theology. Because even in those tragedies, you and I are caused, a cause of death here causes us, leads us to celebrate God's covenant, that even though there may be death because of this flood, because of this rain, we understand that God is not going to judge the whole world that way today. And we say, that is a weird way of thinking. Well, that's what sound theology gets us. That's the mind of God. The rainbow reminds us of that. Given a second chance, we'll see this week that sin again raises its ugly, ugly head and affects not only Noah and his family, but their descendants down through the halls of time. Although the floods came and wiped away all living things, the curse of sin and death could not be eradicated from the earth. For it still resided in the hearts of the eight surviving souls. God in His faithfulness and His sovereignty waits patiently until the last day when once again all of creation will be judged and found wanting. So until that time, we should celebrate God's covenant. For you and I need to remember that this covenant with Noah is temporary at least to, how, to the how. Paul writes in Romans that because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on that day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Let me say that once again. He says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Even though God gave a covenant with Noah not to destroy the earth, it did not mean that his wrath is satisfied still being stored up. And even though Noah and his descendants do not have to do anything to continue with that Noah covenant, we realize that all the violence, all the corruption, all the sin that is still in this world is just being stored up for the wrath of God. And one day His wrath will be poured out. And here's where I want us to really pay attention. For our families, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, listen to this, need to hear and heed that warning. Let us not be like Noah, who is only able to save his immediate family. We told you last week to build an ark. Why? Because judgment is coming once again. As believers, we must be about our Father's business, fulfilling the mandate He has given us to go into the world to make disciples and to teach all to obey the commandments of the Lord. That's what it means today to be fruitful and to multiply. There's a physical aspect to it, but there's also a spiritual aspect to it. There's a judgment coming. And we need to be faithfully heeding that warning to others. Yet like Noah, 
God finds favor with his chosen children. And he calls us to obedience. Would you hear his voice today? Some of you are still in your sin. Some of you, your wrath, God is storing up his wrath against you. And one day with all that he has, he will just pour it down upon you. Would you hear his voice? Is he drawing you to himself? And you say, but how can I have that? I might hear his voice. What do I need to do? Well, you need to do the same thing as Noah did. You need to think of the promises of God is more precious than your family. You need to put your, your back to everything that you knew and just boldly obey God. Be willing to leave all things to acquire Him. Wouldn't it be much better if I could just say, pray after me? Say these simple words. I can lead you in that. But let me tell you, there's no guarantee in there. There's no faith in there. Faith is a bold obedience to God's word and defiance of circumstances and consequences. Faith is learning to be satisfied with the good promises of God. Our response today to God's display of His faithfulness and His sovereignty is to value life and to celebrate His covenant. You and I also can look forward to that day to when harmony will be restored. For some, what awaits you is the wrath of God. To others, there's a greater and a better hope when harmony once again rules over the earth. Both man and beast will at peace. That fear and dread will drop like scales from our eyes and our hearts. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah tells us of the day when the righteous king that we read about earlier uh, from, from Dustin, when he comes, that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goats, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. He writes that the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall be down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Until that day, value life and celebrate God's covenant as we Enjoy God's faithfulness and His sovereignty. Father, I pray that you would grab our hearts again with this. Father, there's some here that are still under the wrath of God. Father, draw them to yourself. Let them uh, repent and turn from trusting in anything else, but look and see that you're worth the cost of following. Let us as, as believers, those that you've remembered, those that you've favored, Father, may we turn and trust in you. May we value life. May we celebrate your covenant that expresses not only your faithfulness, but also your sovereignty. We thank you for that. We pray in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. 
Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.